Good morning. I hope you're having a great week. If you're a guest with us, my name is Rob. I'm one of the ministers here at New Hope, and just glad uh, that you would join us this morning. If everybody would do me a favor, uh, there's a white card in the seat that's in front of you. During the sermon or sometime in the service, if you'd fill that card out for us, it really helps us. Uh, let us know that you're here. Let's us know what you'd like us to pray for, because our leaders, uh, we really do love getting together and praying for those requests. And if you fill it out during the sermon, it makes me feel like you're taking notes, so it's like a, it makes me feel really good, all right? Um, if you're also, if you're a guest with us, I want to encourage you, stop at the Welcome Center out in the lobby. You can learn about how to get connected around here, different events we've got coming up, how you can participate in those events, how you learn more, how you take your next step here at our church. And people out there would love to tell you exactly how uh, you can do that. One way uh, to learn more about what's been going on here at New Hope is going to take place on uh, the 7th and the 14th. Uh, there's going to be a table, an extra table out there starting next week uh, to discuss the REACH initiative. Uh, now, the REACH initiative we started a year ago. Some of you know what it is. Others, you've not heard of this. Uh, our REACH initiative uh, was something to engage all of our church body in the mission that Jesus has given us as a church to reach more people. And so we engage in, uh, in, internally, and we want to train up leaders. We've provided discipleship trainings ever since this launch. In fact, we're in the middle of one right now on Wednesday evenings that you're more than welcome to join us uh, at. In addition to that, we did outreach, and we're looking at different ways that we can impact our community. So we're hosting Justin's Run for Hope coming up, and we are participating with So Big Ministries and transforming the house on the other end of our property into what we're calling the Mountain House, which is a maternity home for mothers in need. And so we're praying through these things, working through these things. And then last was generosity. And the generosity part was to give everybody at our church the opportunity to go above and beyond what we would call a tithe. Uh, the, the Bible suggests that you start with a tithe. Anything above that is considered your offerings or your generosity. And so as a church family, all of us included, we took this step of uh, generosity. And since then, we've uh, renovated our building. And, and we recognize that with all of these things, there are some people that weren't here last year. And so we want to give you an opportunity to learn about the REACH initiative, to maybe uh, make a commitment for the second year to be a part of that. And so right out in the lobby, uh, it'll be staffed by our elders all morning next week and the week after. Stop by there. You can get information about it. You can ask questions. You can get an update. Uh, we just want to be transparent with you and give you that opportunity starting next Sunday morning. Now, I want to pray for us, and we're going to jump in and continue our series that created you. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Uh, for all that you do in our lives, thank you, God, that you move so powerfully uh, through song. It's incredible to hear people singing and bring their attention and focus to Jesus. Uh, Father, thank you that your word is powerful, that it overcomes anything we've experienced this week, that it can pierce straight through it into our heart. And so, God, my prayer is that as we together look at your word, that you might have uh, your way in our hearts, in our minds, that we would leave here uh, prepared to live intentionally for your son, Jesus. And we offer this prayer in his name. Amen. Hey, as we get started, uh, we're going to uh, continue this series called The Created You, and we're looking at different things the Bible says that we should bring our attention and focus to, to become all that God created us uh, to be. And so um, it's gearing up, honestly, for our VBS. This is our version. Gadgets and Gizmos was like, okay, let's come up with a different series, come alongside of it. And so our, our kids at VBS are going to learn all the things that we're teaching you uh, through all of this, um, and so we wanted to have a sermon series that led right up to that special moment in our church calendar, and so uh, they created you, and I'm excited and yet convicted, and so today will be a lot of fun, but I want to start today with a video. I'm going to play a video for you, and I want to see how many of you can really uh, count in the midst of this chaos how many times the team that's dressed in white actually passes uh, the basketball, so check this video out and see if you can count it, and if you count it, yell it out when you, when you think you know the number. Check it out. This is an awareness test. 
How many times does the team in white pass the ball? answered 13 passes, you are correct. But did you see the moonwalking gorilla? It's easy to miss something that you're not looking for. How many of you failed the test? You're with me and most of the people that I showed this video to this week. Uh, we completely failed uh, that test. It's just a fun video to show that when we're so laser focused on one thing, oftentimes we miss other things that are happening around us. And this is really true spiritually of your life. I mean, we live in a culture where we're just bombarded with busyness, bombarded with being tired, and oftentimes God's trying to show us something that we're not even looking for because we're so consumed with what's going on around us. I mean, busyness and tiredness have become status symbols in our culture, right? I mean, honestly, I don't know about you, but there are times in my life where if I don't feel busy, I don't feel tired, I feel guilty. As if I'm supposed to be busy and tired all the time, and it's some sort of a competition with the people that are around me. I find deep pride in my calendar when it gets full. You feel a level of value and worth that uh, you're so focused on achieving that you miss so much of what's going on around you. I mean, we're consumed with it. I know for me, I've been in the lead minister role here at New Hope for seven months now. And I completely underestimated what this position, just a simple shift in, in, in the way we do things around here as a church and accepting this position would do to my schedule. I mean, it, it has been overwhelming at times, times where I've had to stop and say, I don't know that I can keep up with this. It's so busy. It's, it's people needing time, people having meetings, and, and you just get bombarded with it. And I know that might be a little bit more transparent than you wanted to hear this morning, but I'm confident that most of us feel this from time to time. If I were to ask most of the people here today, I said, hey, how are you feeling? How's everything going? Man, I'm busy. I'm, I'm just tired. I, I feel a little bit overwhelmed. I got so much going on. It's a status symbol for us. Imagine if you were, uh, if I challenged you, which I'm not, but if I challenged you to leave this place today and every interaction you had with another human being for the next seven days, you were not allowed to say busy, tired, overwhelmed, or exhausted in your reply to them. Couldn't tell them I got so much going on, it's so busy, I can't keep up. You just weren't allowed to talk about that. Many of us, myself included, we'd fail before lunch was over. We'd leave this place, we'd go to Cracker Barrel or El Rodeo, we'd sit down and we'd begin uh, eating and we'd start talking about all the things that we have going on that start tomorrow morning and we would already fail this test uh, that was issued to us. Look, it's, it's the way our culture is. If you're not busy, if you're not tired, if you're not overwhelmed, if you're not exhausted, then you're not valuable. And it's a shame. I read this week about one mom who met up with one of her friends and she, her friend said to her, you look so tired. And the mom replied, I've got three kids. I think this is just my face now. <laughs> now, how many of you wake up in the morning and your first thought is like mine? The first thought, when do I get to go back to sleep? Anybody else like that? And that alarm goes off and my first thought is, oh, I just want to go back to sleep. 
right? And, and you can't. You can't always go back to sleep. We've got a newborn, so we wake up periodically throughout the night, and you get the answer yes to that, which is kind of cool, but not cool at the same time, because then the alarm goes off. And if it wasn't my phone, I'd throw it across the room. It gets so frustrating. When you wake up, you're like, oh, here we go. And then realizing that you, you can't just go back to sleep, how many of you, if you're like me, begin, your mind begins to race instantly? All right, well, here's my schedule for the day. Here's what I have to accomplish. Here's this meeting that I have to go, this task I have to accomplish. What, what passage am I preaching on this week? I got to start studying. I got to start prepping. I got to do this. I got to go here. I got to do that. Let me check my email. Let me make sure I'm returning messages. Let me make sure I got a grip on everything that I got to do today. And then I get up out of bed. And if you're like me, you experience this too. I get ready. I'm done getting ready. I help as much as I can with getting the kids ready. I take them to school sometimes. And when I'm done dropping them at school, I make it to the office. Very tempted, even while driving, though I don't, even while driving, to check my email on the way into the office just to make sure I'm a little bit ahead of the game. I arrive to the office, I check my email, I look at my calendar, I go to that meeting, and then that meeting, and then that meeting, and then that meeting, and then that meeting. Carve out some time to begin prepping and studying for a sermon. I get home, then I gotta be dad. I eat dinner, then I wrestle with the kids, I put the kids to bed, I spend time with my wife, and before I know it, I'm exhausted. I'm done, I'm just wiped out. Climb in the bed and Go to sleep, and five minutes later, the alarm goes off, and i got to get up again. <laughs> and we start this over and over and over again. Here's the problem, though, guys. I, I don't think this is what Jesus had in mind. When he said, I've come, that they may have life and have it to the fullest. Notice that he didn't say fullest calendar, fullest schedule, fullest task list. He said, I've come, that they may have life, and that they may have it to the fullest. Now, when you preach on something like this, it's very convicting. Here's why. There's two kind of points of tension as we begin to explore this concept. The first is this. What I'm preaching on this morning, I'm not very good at practicing. I'm not. I'm guilty. And the reason I tell you that is because we're all in the same boat here. I'm not, I'm not any ahead of you. I don't have this mastered. I'm not getting up here as a master of rest, as a master of uh, this, the calendar and the schedule and, and claiming to be really great at it. I'm learning and the Lord is really disciplining me through this and, and working on my heart and my motives through all of this, but, but we're together in this. The, the second point of tension is this. Hard work, and busyness, and, and being tired, they're not bad things. They're not. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that we were created to work. Work was a part of creation before sin entered the picture. We will work in heaven. Work is fulfilling. It is a gift that God gives us. However... In the midst of that work, in that busyness, and being tired, God did not want for us to be controlled by our schedules. He does not want us and our lives to be consistently categorized as busy and tired. And so God instituted this thing when you read your Bible called the Sabbath. And the Sabbath is about us making room, putting ourselves in a position to be aware of God's presence in our lives. The Sabbath, if you will, is an awareness test. It is God saying, are you slowing down enough to pay attention to all that I'm doing around you, all that I want to do in your life, or are you controlled by and consumed by your work and schedule? I like the way John Kostler says it. He's a New Testament guy. He says this. He says, the aim of all of this effort in pursuing Sabbath rest is to create an atmosphere that will allow space for God. Or more accurately, our aim is to create a climate that will allow space for our own awareness of God. God is always present with us. It's not, it is usually our preoccupation with the necessities of life that often distracts us from him. See, I don't know about you, but that's what's true in my life. I oftentimes miss what I think God's trying to communicate to me because I'm preoccupied with what I view 
as necessary. And so today we're going to look at our Old Testament. We're going to go to Exodus and Leviticus and the book of Deuteronomy. And if you have a Bible, I'd encourage you to follow along. If you don't, that's okay. I'll put the, the passage up on the screen and you can take a picture of the screen, do whatever you'd like to do with that. Um, but here's what we're going to learn. We're going to learn three of multiple reasons why Sabbath is important for you and for me. Uh, understand this, though. The New Testament, when Jesus came, Jesus came and he said, I have come to fulfill the law. So he did. He came and fulfilled the law. We are not under obligation to do what this text tells us to do because of our freedom in Christ. However, it is still an indication as to God's heart for us, what God desires for you and for your life. And so we're going to learn that the Sabbath teaches us that God is our creator, God is our provider, and God is our redeemer. These are three profound truths that I promise you If you're willing, God will impart on your heart and teach you a lot. We're going to start in the book of Exodus in chapter 20. If you have a Bible, this is when God is instituting the Ten Commandments. And he institutes the Sabbath as one of those commandments. And here's what he says. Verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you, your son, your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day, and he made it holy. And so we have two things going on here. We've got a what and a why. The what communicated in this passage is you take a day. You take a full day and you rest. You take a full day and you don't do any work. But God knew our tendencies. Like, sure, I won't work. I'll just hire everyone to do it for me. He says, no, not that. You can't have anyone else doing work for you either. No one in your home, no one in your business, no one working for you, not even your animals. Everybody rests for one day. You set that day aside. And there's really two reasons for that. One is we need rest. Like physically, our bodies have to rest. If you don't rest, you inevitably experience burnout. And burnout comes in a lot of ways. It can come emotionally. And that's really the, the most uh, dominant way that burnout occurs is an emotional breakdown. But it can happen physically too. Your body will begin to break down and wear out. You'll experience health problems that if you were to just institute some rest, you would not experience otherwise. Burnout happens and we have to rest for that reason. This is why God modeled it for us. Now, God did not rest so that he could get energy. I want you to know that. He doesn't need to rest to gain energy. He's God. He was before time, after time. He is beyond what we need. But he models rest because he knows that we need rest. God rested to enjoy the glory of his creation, not to regain energy. So the first reason that we need to rest, God says, is your body needs it. You've got to rest. The second reason is the spiritual reason. And this is, this is where uh, it, it's real dangerous to not rest, to not carve out time for you to rest in your life. And God says this, that we are creatures of drift. We naturally drift away from what God says is most important. We'll slowly drift. If you've ever experienced drift, it doesn't happen like this. It's just this slow process where you're not resting, you're not carving out time to rest, you're not Sabbathing, you're not doing any of that. And before you know it, you are more prone to worship creation than the creator. And this is why God said, God created God is the one who created in six days and then he rested. And he's telling us that because our natural tendency is to drift away from viewing him as creator and begin to believe that we're the ones that should create and should produce in our lives. And so as we rest, God says he's reminding us that he's creator and the sustainer of life. That if you don't rest, you will begin to lose sight of the sovereignty and glory of God in creation. 
You see, when you read the Ten Commandments, commandments number two through ten are really a reflection back on the first commandment. The first commandment says, you shall have no other gods before me. Which means if we break two through ten, which I don't know if you're aware of this, we break them, uh, then you are guilty of violating the first commandment. So, even number four counts. If we refuse to rest, we are prone to worship something else. If we refuse to rest, what happens is we're violating that first commandment, and we are having a God that's other than God. And so God institutes the Sabbath to protect our hearts from going where our hearts will naturally go, which is away from him. And so when you rest, part of your rest should be focusing on the fact that he's the creator, he's the powerful one, he's the sustainer, he knows better than you. It's about submission under his rule and his authority as the creator of the entire universe and the creator of your life. But here's the other thing that's fascinating about creation. If you were were here last week when David launched this series, he said when God created, he created you unique. He created you special. Unlike any other person he's ever created, you have a unique identity because of God creating you. Now, here's what happens, friends, when we refuse to rest and reflect on that truth. We begin to find our value in creation and not the creator. We stop believing we're special unless we're busy. We stop believing we're special unless we're tired. We stop believing that we have value and worth in our lives unless we're more competitively busy and tired than the person next to us. This is why we compare schedules. This is why we compare uh, accomplishments. This is why everything in life is competitive for us. Because we find our value and worth in creation instead of the creator. And God says, if you'll rest and reflect on this truth, you will realign your heart with the value that I've instilled in you. Let me say it this way. God created you to rest so that you can be reminded of the value and the worth that he gives you in his power and sovereignty over creation. And this is so true for your life. So true in so many of the lives of the people that are around me. So many people burning out. So many people that are so busy. So many people that are battling high levels of pride and arrogance because they're busier and more tired than the next person. And God says, that's not what I had in mind for you. But there's more to creation, or there's more to Sabbath than just viewing God as creator. If you move over to the book of Leviticus, and we go to uh, Leviticus chapter 25, we're going to look at the first four verses. He said, there's more than just God being creator that you learn when you focus on resting. In chapter 25, verses 1 through 4, here's what it says. The Lord spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai, saying, speak to the people of Israel and say to them, when you come into the land that I have given you, the land shall keep a Sabbath to the Lord. For six years you shall sow your field, and for six years you shall prune the vineyard, And gather its fruits. But in the seventh year, there shall be a Sabbath of solemn rest for the land, a Sabbath to the Lord. You shall not sow your field or prune your vineyard. Skip down uh, to verse 20 with me. So the people get all these details. God's saying, even the land has to rest. Some of you farmers are like, please don't, please don't say it. Uh, Every seventh year, the land had to rest even. And here's what God says about it He says, And if you say, What shall we eat in the seventh year if we may not sow or gather in our crop? I will command my blessing on you in the sixth year so that it will produce a crop sufficient for three years. When you sow in the eighth year, you will be eating some of the old crop. You shall eat the old until the ninth year when the new crop arrives. And so God gives them this challenge. You've got the what and you've got the why. The what is even the land has to rest because God is God over all of creation. He says even the land rests. And they practice two different things. Every seventh year, they let the land rest and God blessed them and just the way it described in that passage. And then every seventh year of the of seven years so every 49 years it was called the year of jubilee 
They, they released all debt, all slaves were free, all the land was uh, resting. It was like this complete and total fresh restart. But here's the fascinating thing. If you read through your Old Testament, you don't have any evidence that the people followed through with this. Like there's no indication in your Old Testament. And I went back and revisited it. I was talking to my father-in-law. We were like, yeah, and this is a question we've had for professors. Like you read through the year of Jubilee, you read through this blessing that God has promised his people if you'll Sabbath even the land. And there's nowhere in your Old Testament where it says the people followed through. And here's why that's important. Because this is not so much about the land as it is about the trust of the people. Here's why. When they ask the question, what will happen in the seventh year if we're not allowed to gather the crops in the seventh year? We're going to be in trouble, God. That's a legitimate question. Here's why it's legitimate. Because the very act of work is something God instituted. Like they weren't doing something bad, and then God said, take a break from something bad. It's not like us and our schedules. It's like your schedule is dominating your life. Take a break. Like take a vacation. It's not like that. You're doing the very thing God told you to do. And then he also tells you to take a break. So it's a legitimate question. Say, hey, you told us to work. And that's a rule. I mean, God instituted, you reap what you sow. And in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 in your New Testament, this is still a rule that the New Testament teaches. If you don't work, you don't eat. And that's a rule. We are called to work. Work is a good thing. But God says, even the land has to rest because I want you to understand that I'm the one that provides for you. Not your work, not your effort. That if you don't work into your schedule a time to rest, you will begin to believe the lie that you provide everything for yourself. You will begin to say, I've got everything I have because I worked so hard and achieved so much. Yeah, maybe. Who gave you the ability to do the work? Who gave you the mind to process and think through those things? Who gave you the self-discipline? Who gave you all of these qualities that have earned you what you've got? If you don't rest, you're going to fill in that blank with yourself. See, God made them take one day a week off and do nothing Now, here's the thing. That was difficult, especially in that day. Because in ancient Israel, uh, survival was often a day-to-day challenge. In in those days, it was a a day-to-day challenge. Now, imagine this. Some of you are sitting here thinking, if you're like me, I can't imagine taking a whole day off, let alone one day every single week off and doing nothing. Like, I don't know that I'd be able to uh, accomplish much. Rob, if you're telling me as a student I'm supposed to take this time off, I think I'll flunk out of school. If you're telling me as I run my business or I manage this position or I try to get overtime hours, if I take any time to rest, I'm in trouble and I'm going to fail, flunk out, and my family's going to suffer. But imagine being in their day where every single day the crops yielding are what took care of you that day, every day that you had to go and gather the water. And get this, because of the Sabbath law, God cut their productivity by one-seventh. He just said, by one-seventh, I want to cut all of your productivity so that you're forced to depend on me for the other six because I want to prove to you how generous I am. But you see, this, this element of Sabbath, this idea that God is the provider, is as much about his generosity as it is about your faith. Do you or do you not trust him to be your provider? You can say yes all day long, but our behavior betrays our beliefs so often. Do we or do we not trust him as our provider? God never wanted them to say, I have what I have because I did it all. Instead, he forced them to Sabbath so that they would say, I have all that I have because God is good. And he provides for all of my needs. See, when we honor the Sabbath day, God multiplies our work on the other six. He just does. 
He's generous. And this happens, yes, in your Sabbath, in working. It happens with your finances. I can't tell you. When my wife and I made the hard decision to review our finances, we were young. Uh, we had got here to New Hope, and we'd gone through some difficulty and really thought that I had to do all these things to honor and take care of our finances. And, and I really do believe that God honors this. We had some really good counsel. We sat down and decided, no matter what, through all of it, we will tithe. And we will be generous. And from the moment that started, we have never suffered the way we did prior to that. We've still had difficulties. We still had challenges. But God has shown up every single time as provider. He does that when you take a day off to rest. He multiplies the efforts in the other six days. The problem with you doubting that right now is that you don't trust him. It's not that he won't do it. It's that you don't trust that he'll do it. And you show your trust by honoring what he has instituted as rest. Truett Cassie did this. Now, uh, many of you know I'm very partial to Chick-fil-A. For a lot of reasons. One, they're just awesome. Uh, and two, it's one of the only places up here to get good sweet tea. I'm sorry. Uh, that and McAllister's. If you guys know of another place, let me know. But Southern sweet tea is hard to come by up here. And one of the things that I read recently in the Huffington Post, a, a secular periodical, it said, it said that uh, Chick-fil-A, um, and the Financial Times Review also uh, verified this. From day one, Truett Cathy started Chick-fil-A and said, I will not open on Sunday. No matter what, no matter how much pressure is put on us, we will not open on Sundays. And the reason why from day one was always spiritual for him. It's a day of rest to give employees and leadership the opportunity to worship if they choose to do so. It's always been about that for him. And God has taken those other six days and multiplied them. In fact, many people argue Truett Cathy loses on average $800 million a year because of his refusal to open on Sundays. And yet... And as at the end of 2015, the Financial Times Review said that based on financial, financials, customer satisfaction, and company value, the number one fast food chain on planet Earth was Chick-fil-A. And you're going to tell me that they were able to produce that much, keeping closed on Sundays, when he said, we're doing it to honor God. God said, no, I'm going to honor you. And he multiplied their efforts. See, God asks us to give him one-seventh of our time so that we can be aware, pass the awareness test of his blessings and provision on us and the other six. He just does. Take it or leave it. This is what he's called us to. Practicing Sabbath, though, when you work hard and you're like, man, I don't know how to stop working. You've got to work toward stop working. You've got to work toward rest. You've got to work toward working that into your schedule. And you've got to develop it. And here's the thing. It's not about being lazy. Right? The Sabbath is not about neglecting your responsibilities. It's about trusting God as your creator and your provider. He's asking you a question. When I look at your schedule, when I look at all that you've got going on around you, do you or do you not trust me to be your creator, your source of value and worth, and your provider, the one who will take care of you in good times and in bad? Now, the last thing I want to look at comes out of Deuteronomy chapter 5. And in Deuteronomy chapter 5, uh, Moses revisits the reason for the Sabbath. And in chapter 5, down in verse 12, he, re, he brings about one more truth about why we should rest. He says this, Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Holy simply means set aside. God has set aside a Sabbath day. As the Lord your God commanded you, six days you shall labor and do all of your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any other livestock or the sojourner, even the guests who are within your gates, that, you, um, that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well. You shall remember that you, are, you were a slave in the land of Egypt 
And the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Now, this is fascinating because he adds another element to it. And he says, remember the Sabbath day. So the what is, set aside a day to remember. But the why is because he delivered you from Egypt. You were a slave in Egypt. What that means for us is this. While the Israelites were slaves in Egypt, we are slaves to sin. And he says, part of why you rest is to remember that God is your redeemer. He's your creator. He's your provider. But he's also your redeemer. He has set you free from the bondage of slavery. Now you're like, Rob, what does that mean? Okay, what does it mean? Yes, it means salvation. But the other thing is this. I don't know if this is true in your life, but in my life, if I'm not careful, I become a slave to my work. And you know what? I would venture to say the same is true for you. And you can say, no, I'd never become a slave to my work. Well, how do you know that? When your calendar and your schedule and your boss and your work and your tasks and your accomplishments dominate your thought life, they dominate your goals, they dominate everything that you're about so that you can earn more money, provide for your family, set your retirement up, all those things aren't bad, but when they control you, friend, you are a slave to your work. It controls you. You no longer control it. And to be released from the bondage of that slavery means you have to stop and rest and remember that God delivered you from slavery. That because Jesus came, defeated death and resurrected, you do not need to be enslaved by anything in this life, including your work. And you can rest in that truth, that gospel truth. Gospel means good news. We rest in the good news of the gospel when we also physically rest and remember that he delivered us. You see, your work your school, and your schedule will fill the void of worship that is left open because you do not take the time to find your rest in the truth of the gospel. You see, when you refuse to remember the good news of Jesus redeeming you and delivering you, you will inevitably fill that void with your work, with your schedule, with your time. And you will find your... Think about it. Every time you meet somebody new, the first question you ask is what? What's your name? What's the second question? What do you do? And what you're really asking would be better if you could be up front, which would be totally weird if we all just spoke what we thought. Uh, you just said, hey, where do you find your value? Where do you find your worth? What are you enslaved to? I mean, that's the question we should be asking because that's such a high priority for us to find out what somebody does and where they find their identity. And Jesus says, no, 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 your identity is in me, and if you don't rest and continually remember that truth, you will inevitably drift away from it and find yourself consumed by your work. Now, many of you find yourself consumed by that, and you fast forward to Jesus' teaching, and Jesus addresses this issue because when we get overwhelmed by work and school and schedule and tasks and, and going here and taking care of this and just being overwhelmed and not resting and not working rest into our schedule because, honestly, we feel guilty for resting. If you're like me, I feel very guilty every time I take time off. Because I think, well, I should be doing this, and I could accomplish this, and I should get this task done. And I am saying, God, I don't trust you to do all this stuff. It's all on me. It's all on me, God. And so I need to get back to work. And what happens when we find our value in that, we find our truth in that, we, we forget, and we get anxious, and we get worried. And, and Jesus addresses this in Matthew chapter 6. When he says, don't worry about where you're going to go. Don't worry about what you're going to wear. Don't worry about what you're going to eat. Does not God take care of these things for you? I mean, think about the flowers of the field and the birds of the sky. God takes care of every detail of their life. Will he not also provide for you? Oh, you of little faith. You of little trust. You who thinks everything rides on your shoulders. 
says, don't worry about those things. Instead, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all of these things, they'll be added to you. Your self-worth and value as God is your creator. Your provision as God is your provider. And your freedom as God as your redeemer will be added to your life when you seek his kingdom. You see, friends, when we seek his kingdom, seeking Jesus' kingdom is about positioning our lives to be consistently aware of his presence. It's like put, putting things in your life, being intentional. Say, I want to consistently be aware. I want to pass the awareness test of God's presence in my life and what he's doing in my life and what he wants me to remember about what he's done in my life. And so the question you have to ask is, how do we do that? We leave this place, and, and what, what can you do? What are some practical things that you can do? Because some of you are probably feeling a little overwhelmed right now. Like, what? How do I do this? I work six and a half days a week, and I take a three-hour break to come to church and get lunch. And I'm right back to it. And Rob, this is a season of my life where I just can't do that. And God is saying, really, so you only trust me in seasons. Now remember, and this isn't to be rude or to be funny, but like I didn't say your name. Like if the Holy Spirit's convicting you, let him convict you. Let him work on your heart through this. Two ways that you can practically begin to see where you're at with this. The first is this. It's hard. It's not popular to say this first one. Disconnect from your calendar and from technology. One day. I can't do it for a day. Start with an hour. Build your way up. Don't settle. One day. Set time aside. Make it a priority in your life to spend time resting. Now, if you're like me, this isn't easy. I come into this place. We've told our staff one one hour every week, each staff member has to come in here and pray over our church in this auditorium right here. I come in for my one hour each time, and I, I can't focus. I'm like drawn back to my phone. Like, oh. I got to leave it in the office. And even when I come over here, I just feel like a magnet. It's pulling me through the wall. It's like it wants me to get back to it. That's a sign of me not being healthy. I can't come in here and focus and spend time with the Lord for even one hour. And so friends, we've got to work from disconnecting, from allowing our calendar and our technology to be our God. And we need to show ourselves that when we rest. Now here's a, a hard truth. Your inability to make time in your schedule to focus on God, it does not reveal how hard you work and how well you provide. It just doesn't. You can believe that lie all you want. It shows how little you trust that God can and will provide all that you need. That's all it shows. When can we get to the point as Christians where busy and tired are not our status symbols? Why can't we change the culture and say, I'm not proud of you for being busy, and I'm not proud of you for being exhausted. I'm proud of you for working rest into your schedule. Because when you discipline yourself to do so, I know what your priority is. The second thing is this. Be honest as God begins to work on your heart. Because when you spend time to rest, what's going to happen is the enemy will bring to light things that you've refused to deal with in the past. We do this all the time. There's pain in your past. There's difficulty you've gone through, and one of the number one ways to deal with it is to speed up the pace of your life. I don't want to think about it, so I'll just stay busy. I don't want to think about it, so I'll just work harder. I don't want to deal with that pain, whether I'm guilty of it or it was done to me or I've walked through this valley of difficulty in my life, I don't want to deal with that, and so I'm just going to work harder. And I'm going to get busier and busier and busier. Because here's the thing, it's a lot easier to stay fast-paced and claim ignorance than to slow down and get honest. It just is. And when you slow down and you pause and you rest, God's going to bring some of these things up, and then he's going to say, let me provide. Let me set you free from that. Let me show you my sovereignty over that. I'm your creator, I'm your provider, I'm your redeemer. Let the pain happen. 
Let it rise up to the top. Slow down enough to let God come alongside and help you walk through this difficulty. Because if you don't, you can rely on your own strength for so long until you come up against the storm that you're just not strong enough to get through. You can either deal with what you need to deal with now by Sabbathing, by resting, or it will catch up to you later, and by then it may be too late because you might hurt people and create an explosion of a mess of your life because you refuse to slow down earlier. Friends, slow down. Rest. Sabbath. Allow him to remind you he's your creator, he's your provider, he's your redeemer. Let me close this way. I did some reading this past week on ballerinas and gymnastics. I know you're proud of me. I've got, I've got a daughter, so I don't feel bad. Uh, but it is fascinating how difficult those two things are. Dancing is a very difficult thing. Gymnastics is claiming, and I think it's true, is the hardest sport on earth. It's just so difficult. And one of the reasons it's difficult is this issue of balance. There's so much spinning and turning. I don't know if you're like me. I get on the teacups at Disney World, and it's over for anyone that's near me. Right? You're done, because I just can't handle it. I can't handle spinning and not being able to control anything. And I just, I lose my balance, and everything falls apart. And this is true in your life. But the ballerina and the gymnast are taught this skill called focal point. And each time they spin or each time they twist, they're taught to find something before they ever start that that's their focal point. That's what they will stay focused on. And when everything spins and gets out of control, that's what will see them through this difficulty. That's what will keep them balanced. And Sabbath resting is about saying, I want my focal point to be Jesus. So when my schedule, my time, my work, my value, my worth, my provision, all this stuff begins to weigh down on me, I can say, no, my focal point is Jesus. And when everything's spinning, it's Jesus. It's not my own work ethic and my own strength and my own uh, ability to provide. It's Jesus. Sabbath rest is about keeping your focal point on Jesus. And when you regularly rest in God's presence, you can declare that through it all, through everything, your eyes remain focused on him. Friends, I don't know where you're at, but I do know this. I think God's asking each one of us, myself included, in the midst of it all, do you trust me? To be your creator, to be your provider, and to be your redeemer. Rest in that truth. Let's pray. Father, thank you that your word is clear and incredible. God, thank you that Jesus fulfilled the law so we're not obligated to it. And yet, thank you for the wisdom of it. Thank you for this truth, this incredible truth that tells us we've got to slow down. God, we have got to allow you to work on our hearts. And as these things come up and these difficulties that, uh, that really scare us into working harder and staying busier, we might slow down enough to allow you to help us work on them, to make us whole and complete, to find our strength in our rest so that we can show ourselves and, and the people around us that we trust in the one true God. Father, give us the strength to keep our focal point in the midst of it all on Jesus. And I pray for this in his name. Amen.